This morning, uh, if you would turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 11, I said that it's going to feel a little bit different, and, and I, I find myself in a bit of a, an odd state, uh, not because of things that are going on with family, not because of anything other than I, I want to preach and declare the Word of God boldly, and yet I find myself being one of the primary ones that I think is crying out to God that this would be a reality in my own life. And I just want to say that up front, and that's not some false humility, that's not some, that's not some speaking tactic to kind of get you em- empathetic toward me as a, as a speaker so that if it's not that great, you just realize, well, I'm in this emotional state. It's nothing like that. I find myself today driven by a dependence that I don't want to lose. Because what I want to talk about today is we're looking at this series on disciple, that we are called to be a disciple, and that we are called to be the makers of many disciples. So disciple, be one, and make many. In the church, we looked last week at an eternal mindset, and this week I want us to to consider the spiritual power that we are called to operate in as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I find myself dependent in a way that I actually don't want to lose. You know those moments of dependency where you're just like, I can't wait to get out of this? This doesn't feel that way for me. This, this feels a little bit more like how it's supposed to be. I, I came across an illustration from Dr. Tony Evans this week. He said this, there was a lady who lived out in the boondocks. She did not have electricity, but she wanted it. She called the electric company that made the arrangements so that a line could be gotten out to her and she could have the benefits of constant power. After delivering electricity to her home, for almost six months, someone at the company noticed that there was only one unit of power that had been used in that six months. So a serviceman was sent out to check and make sure there wasn't a problem there at the home. He rang her doorbell, and when she answered, he asked, Miss, are you using your electricity? And she said, well, yes, I am. Serviceman said, well, can I ask what it is that you're using it for? She said, well, when it gets dark, I turn it on just long enough to light my kerosene lamps. (laughs) See, she didn't understand the power that she had. She had a power that could keep things well lit all night long. But she was settling for a kerosene existence, and here's my concern for us as a church today. Here's my concern for me today. The areas of life that I settle for a kerosene existence. So I'm talking about a dependency that keeps us listening, that keeps us praying and asking and seeking the things of God above the circumstances that we're walking through. In this example, we're using kind of electricity versus kerosene. But I am concerned as a church that what we have done is we see and we acknowledge the spectacular power of God and salvation, and then we leave it there. We acknowledge, and I know that one of the greatest miracles that we get to see is a life that is transformed by the power of God in salvation. But that transformation and that work is constantly happening in the life of a believer. And I am concerned that we have settled for too little. 
And I want to actually look at two very specific ways that I think that it is that, that the power of God is intended. It's both in the life of the believer and in the life of the gathered church. And so if you are there with me, Acts chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 19 this morning. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, listen to this part, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. First called Christians. You know, I think it's right for us to think about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit is sent as the comforter, the one that Jesus said would come and be with the disciples, the one who would come and that they would receive a power from the Holy Spirit, that they might be a witness for the things of God. And it's right that we associate Pentecost with the power of God. It's right that we associate salvation with the power of God. But there is a power of God that is available in the life of the believer that is a part of our everyday existence. And I wonder at times, I wonder at times for us as a church because I know it to be true in my own life, how often am I ignoring that? How often am I ignoring the power of God. What if it were this week more powerful for us and more spiritual for us to hear from the Lord and then simply obey the things that He was calling us to rather than to have some miracle accomplished at our, at our dining room table, at the restaurant that we go out to after church today for lunch? What if that's the greater miracle that, that the Spirit of God wants to just continue to work and knead into the life of the church? And I ask these questions today not as an accusation. I think that these are things that we all actually long for in our heart, to see the power of God and to be aware of the presence of God in new and spectacular ways. And I want to be careful here because I'm not talking about unlocking some kind of thing that exists outside of us that we have to call down from heaven to be a part of us I'm actually talking about an awareness of something that already dwells in us for those who are in Jesus Christ the spirit of God is already in me how is it that I unlock him coming out more because nobody needs more of Chris We have a hurting world that needs more of the power of the Holy Spirit working through Chris. You can insert your own name there. And perhaps even just confessing this up front, it helps you to know how to pray for us because 
as individuals, as, as men and women who lead in this church, this is something that is very much on our heart. It's part of the stirring that we do with and for one another when we gather and we meet together. But we're going to look at the gathered church in just a moment. And there's like a next level way that I'd like for you to pray for me and pray for us as leaders in this church. But we see here in the scripture that God is answering the question of how it is that he wants to work in and through his people. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about who it is that Barnabas is described as in this passage thus far. He is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. So he's not just a faithful man, he is a faith-filled man. And so in the church today, we don't necessarily need more strategists. We don't necessarily need more clever men and women. We need men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. Not full of themselves, I can, I can throw a stone and find that in the world. Where are the men and women filled with the Holy Spirit? We, we don't need a church filled with people who are just ex, excited to just accept God. We want a church filled with people who accept God at His word alone. And then obey out of that. Perhaps this is a good place just to ask this question. When was the last time that you experienced the Lord telling you to do something and then you acted on it? It's a simple question. Even for me, as I've been thinking this week, it was something that happened over the summer. I just remember sharing with Stephanie. I said, I I don't know what this is. I just believe that God has called me to do this. And so I'm just going to... I don't know how long this is going to be, but for this season, this is kind of how I'm going to walk in obedience. And I just remember her looking at me and like, okay. And it was this strange moment because it was, it was not just that I had heard what I had heard, but now as I'm expressing it to her, I realize, well, now I have to walk that out. But it was something very good for me. I, I, I still can't quite explain why it was that God had me do what he had me do for about six to eight weeks or so. I just remember saying to her, hey, babe, this is, this is something I believe that I'm supposed to do. I will let you know when this kind of changes. And, and I just, I remember that there was just something so freeing about that for me personally. So while I can't explain what it was that God was calling me to do, I can explain what the benefit of it was. There was freedom. And, and there was the sense of, I can hear God and obey him through his power. And I don't share that with you as some kind of like highlight of, look at the super spiritual thing that I did. I think the reason Stephanie looked at me and was like, well, that's weird. was because it was not like the biggest thing in the world. It's not like I said, babe, I think for the next six to eight weeks I'm supposed to sell everything that we own. It was nothing on that kind of a scale. It was just this simple sense of God is leading me to do something and I just want to be faithful and obey. But being faithful to obey had to begin with something else. Being faithful to listen. And so my question for us is, when was the last time that we just listened to the leading of the Lord in our own lives? 
I'm not talking about in your position at work. I'm not talking about in your position at your family. I'm not talking about in a moment of desperation. I just mean in that simple, everyday moment of God saying, hey, by the way, this. And here's the thing. If you haven't had that moment in a while, it's available to you right now. There's nothing that I'm going to give you today that is formulaic. There's nothing that I'm going to talk about today that says, and these are the four steps to unlocking the power and the listening voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not that guy. The reason I'm not that guy is because God's word doesn't quite seem to put it in that type of a formulaic way. But God's word gives us aspects of what it is that we can do to receive from the fullness of the power that dwells within us. So what are some of those aspects? Well, we recognize that the first aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is saving faith. It is conversion from a dependency on ourselves to a full dependence on Jesus Christ as our Savior. In that moment, the Holy Spirit is present and near. The second aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a surrender of the control of our life. A surrender of the control of our life. And we're going to look at a scripture in just a moment that is going to show us a bit more about that. The influence of our life. The third aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is there is a stop to sinful behavior. Sinful behavior becomes less and less prevalent in your life. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit becomes more and more the abundance that others receive from your life. And then finally, the fourth aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is accepting his filling by faith. And this is where we see this in our passage today. When Barnabas is being described, he is being described as a man that is full of faith. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is full of faith. And if you think about the combination of these aspects of being filled with the Holy Spirit, what it it really kind of equates to is what is the primary influence in your life? What is the primary influence in your life? And I know in the world today there's a lot of talk about influencers that somehow become a a job description when people become famous for being famous. But Scripture actually has had a beat on this for quite some time. Matter of fact, I believe he was the one that was hovering over the waters of creation. The primary influencer that wants to be in your life. And we realize this, we understand this best from Ephesians chapter 5, 18. Where we are told not to get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Many of you, if you are a young driver, you have to go through the drug and alcohol test. It feels like a tremendous waste of four hours to get ready for your driver's license. Until you're driving on a Friday night and you recognize a driver who is known as under the influence. You can recognize that then. You recognize a driver who is under the influence. Why? Because they can't drive straight. And when Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he is saying, don't be under that influence. But in the same way that your body is affected by wine, it is affected by the influence of alcohol on your body Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Wine can ruin your judgment, but being filled with the Holy Spirit heightens your awareness of the things of God. 
It heightens your awareness of the things that He is calling you to. It heightens your awareness of the fruit and the gifts that He has for you as an individual, for us as a church. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if there are times that we like the idea of being under the influence for this hour and a half that we gather together in church and then we leave it as we walk out the doors. Here's the key for us to realize from Ephesians chapter 5. It's a present imperative. It's an always command. Which means it's always readily available to you. In that moment of temptation on a Thursday, in that moment of weakness on a Tuesday night, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's available to us. And this is where we realize that there's an importance to the surrender of our own lives. This is not a check your brain at the door comment. This is not one of those things that says that you should be intellectually kind of disconnected or disjointed. That is not how God's Word works. And I just want to speak to something really quickly. If this seems like a rather charismatic message, praise God. If this seems like a sound doctrine message, praise God. Because at MetroLife Church, we believe that both exist in the same kingdom. And so we're not trading one for another. They inform one another in how it is that we are called to live. This is the life aspect of MetroLife Church. That the two, that sound doctrine and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit would work in unison together. I like how Sam Storm says, he says, it's the convergence of word and spirit in the life of the church. That's what we believe. But church, we have to learn how to surrender to receive. Many of us enjoy going to the ocean and it becomes a part of our kind of reset. I know I've talked about this before, there are times that it's just good for me to be reminded and overwhelmed by something more powerful than I am. And waves crashing against me is just a wonderful reminder of that. But if I were to go to the ocean and, and just go and say with a thimble, you know, because I carry those around, and I were to dip into the ocean, that thimble would be filled. What if I traded that out for a cup? Well, well, that cup would be filled, but there's still an entire ocean. Okay, so I, I trade the cup out for a bucket. And, and I say that bucket is now filled, but there's still an entire ocean's worth of power to receive from. You tracking with where I'm heading here? What if you trade out the bucket and you bring in like just a dump truck and you, you fill that dump truck up, there's still an entire ocean to be able to receive from. Here's my point. I want to surrender as large an aspect of who I am as a vessel of the Most High God to receive from the ocean of the power that is available to me. 
I want to surrender as much as possible that I might be filled as much as possible to be able to witness as much as possible. I want to offer God the biggest container possible. Offer Him all that I am so that I can maximize what it is that He wants to do in my life. And this is where I say I don't share this to be an accusation today against us or a corrective word against us as a church. I want to stir us as a church to be reminded that he can do more than we think is possible according to the power that is at work in us. According to his power at work in us. And so we realize through this passage already that there is a part of the work that God wants to do with the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual. But I said that there were two aspects. I wanted to look at the aspect of in the life of the church as well. So let's continue to read Acts chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his abilities, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, if you would, let's just glance over. Keep that in mind. We're going to glance over to Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch, in verse 1, prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What we have here is an example of what it looks like for the power of God to be on display in the gathered church. We see people who are operating in the roles and the gifts that God has given the church through prophets and teachers, those who are speaking and highlighting the things of the Lord. They are pointing to Christ. As a matter of fact, the church in Antioch we read earlier in Acts chapter 11 is where the church is actually first called Christians. What does that mean? That means that everything that was happening there was not about those roles. It was centered on Christ and His person and His work and the power of his resurrection. It's the first place where they are known as Christians, and I don't think anybody complained about that. It was like the world is recognizing that Christ is the center of everything that we do. And there's something powerful about that. And the church is gathering together where individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're told in uh, Acts 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 24, the Holy Spirit is evident in the expression of God's Word. Let me me just put it this way. Preaching was powerful because of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. This is where your pastor would like to ask for prayer. I'm not afraid of the things to say that are clear in God's Word. but I would appreciate your prayers for boldness. A spirit-empowered boldness. 
because in the boldness and spirit-empowered preaching of God's word, there is a boldness and spirit-empowered receiving of God's word as well. And so let me just say, this is how I pray for you. I pray that there would be a boldness and spirit-empowered boldness in the proclamation of the word, whether it's through me or any that are a part of our preaching team. And I pray that there would be a spirit-empowered receiving of God's word. That's what we see happening in Acts chapter 11 and chapter 13. What else happens? Individuals are filled. There is a evidence of the Holy Spirit in the expression of God's word and the Holy Spirit is present and active in the worship service. I've heard testimony through some of our belong classes which I love being a part of. We have one of those coming up mid-January and I love being a part of those because I get to hear kind of directly from folks what it is that kind of drew them to the church and I remember one couple sharing a story of it's amazing to be sitting in one of our worship services because it's almost like you can see the Holy Spirit beginning to just move amongst the congregation and perhaps you've experienced that before. If you're new here, I don't want you to be thrown off by that. We just believe that that's God at work. We believe that the the body when gathered together, the body of Christ when gathered together ministers to one another. And so we know of those individuals that kind of make their way about the congregation, praying for one another, ministering to one another. And they were just acknowledging it's like you can see the Holy Spirit moving amongst the people. Praise God. More, Lord. May, Jesus, I just pray this now, may we never be satisfied with experiences of you in the past. May we always be animated with anticipation of the experiences of you that we are promised in the future. Because all of those point us to a day when we will do nothing but experience you for eternity. See, if we want to see the growth, and when I say growth, I don't mean numerically. If we want to see the growth and the depth of the things that we see in Acts, throughout the book of Acts, if we want to see the spirit-empowered, explosive growth that we understand from the book of Acts, I want to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I want to know that transforming power in very tangible ways. I want to listen for that. I want to experience that when we are gathered together. Because if we're not experiencing that here, it's not like we're going to experience that naturally in the world. We should be practicing that presence when we are gathered together. What was the results of some of the, the work that, or the preaching that was happening, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church in Antioch? People were added to the Lord. Individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit. Missionary service flowed from the worship service. I think about even the video that we just saw a moment ago as we are commissioning Aaron to go and be a part of an apostolic ministry that we believe that God has called us to. Where does that happen? That happens in the gathering of the church. 
That's what it looks like to experience spiritual power as an individual and spiritual power in the gathered church. Courageous, bold preaching, generosity. And later on in Acts chapter 13, there's a joy that comes in the midst of persecution and suffering. So here's where I'd like to close today. I'd like to close by just asking a couple of questions. This may seem... Well, this, this may seem foolish, actually. Because it may seem like I'm trying to settle a discontent with Metro Life Church. And that's certainly not my heart at all. But I don't want to be content at Metro Life Church. I want to ask these questions because I think that we individually have a part to play in the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in the gathered church. And we have a part to play as individuals, so let me just ask these questions. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing spiritual fruit and supernatural results in ministry? If not, what are we going to do about it? See, discontent just says, oh, I'm not experiencing that. I'm going to turn around and walk away. That's not what I want to sow. I want to ask the question, what are we together going to do about that then? Is the experience that you have when you gather with Metro Life Church empowered by the Spirit? Do you come in with an anticipation and an expectation of the things that God is going to do? Do people experience life change in or because of our worship services? What is it that's happening in the church that can't be explained by human effort or strategy or ingenuity? Or are we substituting worldly measures of strength like reputation, building size, budget surplus, surplus, inflated membership numbers for a genuine appraisal of our church's spiritual health? I don't believe that's true, but if, if you believe that's true, please, can we talk? I want to hear those things. Is there evidence? Are there, are there spiritual fruit? Are there supernatural results of the Holy Spirit's work through our church and our community? I believe that there are. I believe that we're standing at the edge of so many things that God is calling us to. But we have to ask these questions. Are unbelievers being convert, converted? Are believers being conformed by the power of God? See, our, our lives would be richer if we experience the fullness of the doctrine of the Trinity. If that informs our prayers, if that informs the way it is that we praise when we gather together, if that informs our Christian practice when it is that we're not gathered together. Why do I say that? Well, we're, I say that because we are saved by a triune God. We're saved by a Father who planned out salvation on our behalf. We are saved through the Son accomplishing that salvation on our behalf. We are saved through the Holy Spirit applying 
that salvation to our hearts. And so it's right for us to have a triune way that we pray. And so here's where we're going to end today. I simply want to pray through a passage that Paul prays for the church of Ephesus, where he prays for spiritual strength for the church. This is my prayer for us as we head into this new year. So I don't know where you are uh, in terms of even your health or, or things like that, but whatever it is that you do to pray, why don't we just get in that posture now? I'm, I'm going to kneel. And we're going to pray directly from God's Word together from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Father God, I pray for us as a church Before I pray for us corporately, I pray, God, for us as individuals, myself included. Would you grant us to be strengthened with power? Lord, we thank you that your spirit is in, already is in our inner being for those who have made their claim on Christ the Lord. We thank you, God, that this is not something that we have to gin up or have to kind of conjure down from heaven. This is something where heaven already resides in our very heart. And so what I'm asking for, God, is that that would be something that produces strength at the very core of who I am, at the very core of who we are as individuals, God. According to to the riches of your glory. Verse 17 goes on to say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled all the fullness of God. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, in the same way that when Paul was speaking to the church in Philippi, as he's telling them that there is a peace that surpasses understanding that will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, this same guarding of our heart in Christ Jesus is such a part of the heartbeat of the gospel. That that would not be something that is robbed from us by the circumstances that we walk through in life where we may be tempted to think that you have abandoned us because of the circumstances that we walk through. Lord, we pray, just as Paul did, that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. May we experience the unconditional love of God and may we unconditionally surrender as a result and as a fruit of that love that we experience. May we comprehend the breadth and length 
and height and depth of your love. May may the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ surpass the knowledge that we seek institutionally. May it surpass the knowledge that we seek vocationally. May it surpass the knowledge that we seek that is knowledge of the world. Because it is a knowledge that we will live in the good of for eternity. And as we know the love of Christ that surpasses that knowledge, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, we pray this this year for ourselves as individuals. We pray this for this year for our gatherings in the church. When people walk in, when people walk out, may they have the same experience as guests did at the church in Corinth. God is truly among them. And may all of this point not to the glory of individuals gathered here, point never to the glory of Metro Life Church. May it all be for your glory. Jesus' name.